thank you so much. It's not every Sunday that I'm welcomed uh, with an applause, so <laughs> thank you very much. I'm just going to set up my Bible. Thank you. It's so good to be here. It's a special Sunday for me, too, because most churches that I'm invited to, this is their first Freedom Sunday or the first time they're getting to know a little bit more about the work of IJM. Uh, and your church has been involved for quite a few years. So I'm very grateful to be here and to see you all uh, and to talk to you a little bit more about the work of IJM. Even though I've heard it's not really necessary to tell a lot um, because you've been involved for so many years. So for everyone who wants to know a little bit more, I made like a whole presentation for after the service per country, um, so you can know what we do in each country. Uh, but today I will be focusing more on specifically our works in uh, the Philippines, um, which I visited uh, this year, uh, to just dive a little deeper uh, in what we're doing there. And I do wanna give you a little bit of a heads up that um, the work in the Philippines concerns uh, sexual exploitation of children, um, which is quite a heavy subject. Um, you might even have um, been through something similar yourself. Um, so I just wanted to give you a heads up that that's what we're, we're talking about today. Uh, so it might be a bit heavy. Uh, we're also showing a video. There's nothing explicit in there, but just wanted to give you a warning. And if you feel the need to talk with, uh, with me or with someone else from the prayer team, feel free to do that afterwards. And I wanted to share with you today from Luke. Uh, but before that, I want to introduce you to one of our survivors from iGEM. She's from the Philippines and she's called Ruby. Um, and I could tell you her story, but I could also let her tell you uh, herself. So we have a video uh, ready where she will tell her own story. So you have a little bit of an idea what she has been through which is very similar to a lot of children in the Philippines. So this is Ruby's story, quite a heavy one. And this is just a part of her story because when she was just, I'm just gonna talk over the video. <laughs> um, when she was 15 years old, she lost both her parents and her brothers and sisters were working in the big city. Uh, so she was home alone, they were sending her money. But as you can imagine, when you're 15 years old, you're dreaming of a life of independence, taking care of yourself. Ruby really wanted to move to the big city. And when she got a message on social media of this woman named Nadine, who was offering her a job in a computer store, it felt like her prayers were answered. She felt like this was what she was hoping for all this time. So when the woman, she arranged a, a bus ticket for her and she arranged for someone to pick her up to bring her to the computer store, she of course agreed. And when she arrived at the computer store, she describes this moment as if a bomb exploded in her head because she was walking into a room full of computers, but it was clear that she wasn't going to be working in a computer shop. There was a, a lot of girls around her age, some even younger, who were barely dressed and who were being abused. And she knew that she was being trapped. And what was once her dream, going to the big city, was now her nightmare. And when I visited the Philippines a few months ago, it was very difficult to see. 
we spoke to a lot of young girls who had been in the same situation as Ruby, who were in shelters now, which is a good thing, of course, because they're free, but there's also a lot of young children who are still in the same situation. It's estimated that just last year in the Philippines, half a billion girls were abused. That's extremely many children. And people in countries like the Netherlands, in the UK, Germany, you name it, are watching their abuse being live streamed. Which leaves me the question, how is this happening? And why aren't we hearing anything about it? But also, what are we as Christians supposed to do in a world where this is happening? And this is why I want to read to you today from Luke. Luke 10. And it might be a story you're very familiar with if you've been in the church for a longer time. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible on your phone, I would ask you to take it out. And we'll be reading from verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you with any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So what do we see in this story? We see that there is a scribe asking Jesus the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows that this man is asking him this question to trap him. And therefore he answers in a way that resonates with the scribe because he knows that the scribe knows the law. So he asks him, what are the two most important things that you are being commanded? And this man knows love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And when Jesus tells him that he is right, this man asks him a more profound question because loving God with all your heart was all right. But what about your neighbor? He was probably taught that you should love your neighbor but hate your enemy. So whether this man will inherit eternal life kind of depends on who his neighbor actually is. So that is why Jesus is taking him through this parable. And I think personally for me, when I read this parable, it can feel like a story I've heard a hundred times. So sometimes it helps me to imagine being there, imagining what does this road look like. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very dangerous road. It's a road that's around 27 kilometers long. And Jerusalem is about a thousand meters above sea level, and Jericho is about 300 meters below sea level. So it's a very steep way, and there's lots of rocks. So it's quite a good road for robbers to come and rob you because they can get away unseen, they can flee behind the rocks. It was just a very dangerous, dangerous road. And the priest and the Levite, they were walking down this road and they saw the man that had just been robbed and that had been laying down and was half dead, as we read. And I'm just trying to imagine what would these people have thought. We don't know what exactly they were doing, but we do know that they were men of the law. They were men from the Jewish tradition, they knew what they needed to do to be good men. They knew what they needed to do to keep up to the moral codes. And even though they knew this, they both walked past this man who was obviously in a lot of pain. Would they have been busy? And would this have been why they walked past this man? Or were they scared? Because, as I just mentioned, the road is a very dangerous road. It might have been bait. They might have just put the man there. And when someone comes to help him, they might be robbed themselves. Or maybe they just thought, well, I don't really have what it takes to help this man. I'm not a doctor. Maybe someone else will help him. But I'm not the person to help him today. Or maybe they just weren't feeling like it. And the men that Jesus describes in this story are men who are very similar to the scribe. They are men in Jewish ministry. They know the law. They know what to do to be good. So Jesus, that he didn't just pick these two men in the parable on a, for, for no reason. He just did this because they were very close to the scribe. And when you would ask these people the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They would probably know the answer. They would know every law you have to keep to inherit the eternal life. And yet this scribe asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus shows him in a very confrontational way who his neighbor is. Because you might know that the Samaritans and the Jews weren't exactly good friends. They were actually enemies. When we read John 8, we actually see that Jesus is being scolded and they're calling him a Samaritan. And if that is one of the worst things you can call someone, that might give you a little bit of a feel of how the relationship between Jews and Samaritans 
was. So when this Samaritan, he walks past the man laying on the street, he has every reason to do the exact same as the other people that has passed him. He has every reason to just walk past him and he just thinks, this is not one of my people. This is actually my enemy. I'm just going to leave him there to die. But he doesn't. We see that he actually puts his safety on the line. Because he isn't just going near the man to help him, but he is doing that in an extremely dangerous place where he might be robbed himself, where he might get hurt. And I think what's very beautiful, what we read in Luke 10, we see in verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And then we read about the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. So where it starts, what we see is that he sees the man. And when he sees, that's when he decides to act because he feels pity for the man that's laying there. Because both of these men or three of these men who walked past and they both saw the man. But they had very different reactions. And the Samaritan felt pity, even though it might have been his enemy who was laying there on the ground. He felt a sense of compassion for the man. And I just want to ask you, when was the last time you felt compassion for someone? When you heard about someone who was hurting, and you actually felt compassion. Because I think in this day and age, it's very easy for us to see a lot of bad news. We are being bombarded with news about wars, about poverty. We hear a lot of bad things that are happening in the world. And it might be good that we're very connected to the world this, this day, but it's also very difficult because what are you going to make you feel compassion? And when are you saying, I'm sorry, but this is just too much. I gotta protect my own heart. I'm not letting this in. I keep it at a distance. Because if I'm being honest, that's what I do as well sometimes. When I read the news, or maybe if I choose not to read the news because I don't want to feel this way of compassion because that makes me have to think if I'm gonna do something with it, I would rather protect myself from feeling that way. And I think when I went to the Philippines, to visit my co-workers there, there was one of the times that I actually really decided to fully open my heart, even if it would hurt, to look everything straight in the face, look the evil right in the eye, and to just let it touch me. And we went on a trip and we drove in a neighborhood where what you just heard Ruby tell is very, very common. There's a lot of children in that specific neighborhood who have been rescued there already, but also who are still being exploited there. And we drove through the neighborhood and my co-workers were telling me what they've seen there. And while we were driving there, 
you're looking at this neighborhood through a whole different lens. Because if I would have been there on any other day, I might have thought this is a very nice neighborhood. There's a lot of children playing outside. People are cooking. But now I knew what was happening there. And when I saw a mother with her baby on her arm, I wondered what's going to happen when you're going to go inside. Is this someone like Ruby? Or maybe not. I didn't know. It was very painful to drive through this neighborhood with this view. And especially hearing my coworkers telling all their stories about the children they rescued. And you just saw in the video that um, on average they're about 11 years old. But coworkers were telling me about babies from three months old that they had rescued, who were still needing their mother's breast milk that had been rescued from a similar situation like Ruby. I just cannot imagine that as a mother, you would do something to your children like that. But the reality is that 41% of the perpetrators is the mother of the child that is being abused. So when we got back and I got to my hotel room, I could just cry. It just hurt so much. I just physically felt my heart hurting for these children who were being abused. And I was struggling with God as well. Because if God is actually a good God, why is this happening? So I took some time to just cry with the Lord. And I prayed to him and I asked him for some hope. And I opened my Bible and I opened it to Romans 8. And I still have it underlined from this moment in this Bible. I'm just seeing right now. And in verse 18 and 19, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And this gave me so much hope. Because on the one side, it tells me that every, everything, every suffering that we're seeing right now is nothing compared to the glory that is going to be there when Jesus returns. And on the other hand, it also tells us that it doesn't mean that it's just time to wait for him to come and to make everything new. But the creation eagerly awaits for the children of God to be revealed. The creation longs for the children of God to step into his calling, to work with him, to make his kingdom visible today, and not just when he is coming. And I'm actually very glad that I was able to see some moments where I saw his kingdom breaking through right now. 
because as I told you earlier, I also visited a shelter home of girls who experienced similar things to Ruby. And it was quite a heavy trip. So when we went to the shelter, I was expecting to feel a lot of heaviness there and to see girls who had been through a lot of hard things and who needed to be restored. And it was true. They still needed to go a long way in the restoration process. But when we arrived there, what I saw was a lot of beautiful girls who were so excited and so happy and they were playing, they were having fun. And they just finished their exams, so that might have something to do with it. They were very happy that school was over. But they were just so happy and they were so full of life. And coming there and knowing what they have been through and also seeing them flourishing, living their lives was so beautiful because that's when I saw this is what it looks like when the kingdom is breaking through. We are seeing girls who have been through the most horrible crimes that are imaginable thriving. Girls there were being baptized, they were singing, they actually sang a song for us, The Blessing, you might know it. And it felt so strange because I felt like I should be the one like singing this song over you. And they were the ones singing the song over us and over our families. And it was just such a beautiful moment seeing these girls being restored. And when we get back to the question, when was the last time that you felt compassion? That you let yourself be touched by the news you were hearing? You might be thinking, okay, this is a story about the Philippines and some other countries that we're working in, but what does it mean for me? Who actually is my neighbor? It's a difficult question because Today we are very connected with everyone in the world. So if we're supposed to be reacting to every kind of suffering that we're seeing today, I don't think we have anything else left to do in our day. We have very limited resources. We're limited in time, limited in money. We maybe don't have all the skills to help everyone that we meet. And maybe you even think, even if I would have all the time and all the money and all the resources, I still wouldn't want to do it because I also have my own life and I have my own calling. This is just not for me. And maybe when you're hearing this story and maybe you've heard it for the hundredth time, you're thinking, I'm sorry, but I try to be merciful. I try to look after the people in my own life, but that's it. I just do what I think that I'm being called to do and everything else I'm going to leave to the side. And I'm a good person, right? So what's wrong with that? But then I want to take you back to the road where this parable is happening. Because it's maybe very easy for us to say that we're being a good neighbor and that we're helping the people that we're meeting. But if you imagine yourself here in the city, in a part of the city where you're not very comfortable. 
It might be dark. There might be an alley with some people that you're not really trusting. You feel uncomfortable. You feel like it's dangerous for you to be there. And then you hear someone groaning, asking for help. And you see someone laying on the ground. He's probably been robbed. And you're wondering, what should I do? And if you're being really honest, are you running towards that man to help him? Or are you thinking, no, this is too dangerous. If it would have happened on a Saturday, not in an alley, when it was broad daylight, of course I would have helped him. But this is just too dangerous. And I don't even have the skills to help this man. Maybe someone else who is a doctor or has done some sort of training is better suited to help him. So I'm just going to go and I'm going to pray. Lord, please help this man. And you're just going to go on your way home. Then you're exactly like those two people who saw the man laying on the ground from the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and just walked past him. It isn't easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And I think one of the most beautiful things about God and about the Bible is that there's so much wisdom in the word. And we're able to learn from people who have been in similar situations like ours. So I'm just going to go to Exodus with you. Also a very familiar story probably for a lot of you. And we're going to go to Exodus 3. It's a story about Moses. And actually the people of Israel, they were in slavery at that moment. They were being held in Egypt to work and they were abused. They were being mistreated. And Moses, he had fled from Egypt. His own people wanted to kill him. The Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So he wasn't exactly very eager to go back there. And then God, in a very unusual way, catches Moses' attention by a burning bush and he speaks to him. And we read in Exodus 3, we read from verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I'm going to stop here, because don't you think it's interesting that this is basically the same thing that's happening in the story of Luke? God sees his people, and God is concerned with them. He is moved with compassion, and he decides to come to them. We read further from verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
And God said, I will be with you. It's interesting that God is saying, I have come down to rescue my people from Egypt. He is saying that he has come down. And isn't this something that we're asking a lot of the time if we see the things that are happening in the world, where are you, God? But he is saying, I have come down and my plan is that I'm sending you. I'm sending you to go out. I have come down to be with you. Because Moses is asking God, who am I? I'm not the right person. I don't have the right skills. Both of the people that I'm going to meet in this country are going to want to kill me. And God says, it doesn't matter. He's not saying, oh, this is your quality. This is your quality. I've given you this. You're excellent at doing all these things. He's not saying any of that because it doesn't matter. Because what actually matters is that he is telling Moses who he is. He's a child of God, and God is with him. And if God is with him, that's the most important thing that Moses can have when he's going to go to Egypt. I think the most important thing that for us, when we're asking ourselves these questions, who's my neighbor? What am I supposed to do? What are the boundaries? Am I even suited for helping all these people? It's not, okay, yes, I'm suited because I have this amount of time or I have this amount of money or I'm able to do this or I'm very good at this. this these are all my talents. It doesn't matter. Because what matters is that if you're doing this with God, you can trust that God is with you and that he will make a way and that he will make a way and that you are his plan to end suffering in this world. And yes, we will see all the glory revealed to us when he is coming back. But in the meantime, the earth eagerly awaits for us as children of God to be revealed. And the only question that we have to answer is whether God is with us or not. And he is. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing. Yes, go ahead. Will you uh, stand up with me uh, as we're ready to respond to the, to the message? I uh, think the biggest takeaway is, is let's be moved with compassion. And that's um, not a, a button you can just switch on. Uh, but I do want to maybe right now just take a moment to uh, let the, the spirit of compassion move us with compassion. And uh, um, you, you, you mainly preach from the most beautiful chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. And that groaning of creation is also a groaning that's happening in us. And it's actually, it later says that the spirit is groaning in us when we don't know what to pray. And I think for something like this, what we're confronted with, what we're reminded about is it like we, we well we any prayer you pray over this feels kind of superficial or sort of like yeah like i don't know what should we pray uh, perhaps the, the 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 prayers for things like this is is the spirit groaning within us and and the moving us with compassion so actually just in response you just want to take a moment of silence as we're 
um, reminded about this as we're, as we're in this moment, just in silence to invite the Holy Spirit to move us with compassion in, in response. Holy Spirit, move us with compassion. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Teach us to groan over the things that make you groan and what our world is groaning about. The ongoing injustice and violence and abuse. We invite you to move us with compassion and let that compassion move us into action. Because that hope that Romans 8 speaks of is, it's also a, a call to mission to as the children of God, as the, as the first fruits of the spirit, as the first fruits of this new creation that is coming, that is our hope to, to be revealed in this time to stand up, to move into action to the things that we see and where, where you're calling us to. So in whatever way you want to move us today, if that's moving into prayer, if that's moving into giving, if that's moving into, into action, if that's moving into diving deeper into this topic to understand what you're calling us to specifically. If it's a call to move into action for people close to us that are, that are hurting, that you're groaning for, Holy Spirit, move in us. Let not our hearts grow cold. And let us also not be um, so overwhelmed that it paralyzes us, but we still understand that you are longing to partner with us to see your kingdom come on this earth. And we cry out. for all those people made in your image that are held captive, that are suffering from this injustice. We pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly and restore this earth. But also we pray, come Holy Spirit, use us to see your kingdom come right here and right now.
and let this moment not fade, but continue to move us with compassion and be, be people that, that carry this compassion, that carry this heart for your kingdom, that carry this heart for people that um, are suffering injustice, that we continue to be people that, that are moved with compassion, that are moved into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen.